This is the Criminology and Sociology Department's Create Your Future podcast series here at Middlesex University. Each episode, we'll be speaking to experts in various fields related to your studies. The questions will be sent in by you and tailored to your journeys. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks everyone for listening. This is uh, Jackie, lecturer in sociology, and I'm joined here today with Muhammad Ali Salah from Tastemate. Um, he's going to talk about um, his work as managing director. So thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> I'm very excited too because so many of our students are interested in media and social media and so many of the things that I think your work um, yeah. touches on. So I think this is going to be great. Um, can you sort of tell us firstly, I mean, what you do, um, what your role entails? Yeah, let, let's start off with a difficult existential question as mm-hmm. to what I, what I do. Um, so I am the managing director of Tastemade in Europe. Uh, that means I have the overview of how the business runs in the UK, France, Germany, and now India. Uh, I realize India isn't in Europe, but there you go. <laughs> um, just to talk about the company really quickly before I get into mm-hmm. my role within it, Tastemade is a modern media company uh, that really targets millennial and Gen Z consumers. Mm-hmm. So a, a, a very uh, consistent demographic with probably the audience of uh, yep. this, this podcast, student. yeah. <laughs> your students. Um, so we create award-winning videos across uh, the lifestyle verticals. That means primarily food, home and design, travel, beauty. Um, you'll see our stuff mostly on social media and our uh, 24-hour linear streaming TV channel. It, it, it's a company that has obviously evolved a great deal since I started, but my current job is what I described earlier, it's to, it's to, to ensure that the lights are on, that mm-hmm. things flow, that things make sense. I'm kind of like the conductor of the orchestra. Uh, I don't get to wear a fancy jacket, but um, <laughs> I try and make all... all... <laughs> Sometimes I do. You know, work from home has been hard. You have to <laughs> keep, keep yourself entertained. Um, but that's basically, I, I have to make sure that, that the business is viable and makes sense. Uh, our revenue is is up and our costs are down. It sounds really simple and it's not. I'm sure I'm sure it's not. I think it's one of those things that, yeah, in description, you can say, okay, this is what it is, but I'm sure day-to-day, not the case at all. <laughs> 100%. And if you have to describe it to your parents, that's always the, the, the test, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't understand what you do, then you're doing something right, firstly. <laughs> but, but secondly, it proves that it's so hard to accurately describe this job. Mm-hmm. Um but I'll endeavour to do that as we continue talking. Well, we appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> um, how did you, I guess, the you know, so many of our students are in this position of um, graduating soon and kind of thinking about how what the next steps are. How did you, I mean, end up in the role that you're in now? Because I guess there was sort of a lot in between. Yeah, I'll give you a, an abridged version. Yeah. <laughs> now. Uh, uh, the answer is I'm not entirely sure. So it's kind of both by design and chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the design aspect is obviously a lot of the core skills that are required in my job. Um, I've honed and focused on, I've, I've gained experience to, to get to stage. The luck is I never really expected to, to be in this position, right? Um, if we talk about like my 
history within Tastemade. The history of Tastemade in Europe is actually my shared history. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I mean by that is I've been at the company since the very beginning. So we started in 2016. Um, by started, we didn't have like uh, bricks and mortar space. We didn't have uh, all of our social media accounts set up. We didn't have a real budget. Um, but that's where I started. And, and um, I get I got to build the 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 fun thing that we call a real viable company now. Um, mm. And so my background is, is pretty interesting, I would say, uh, primarily because for the last 11, 12 years, I've been on the, the startup merry-go-round. Mm. Um, that means I've been at startups that have worked, like Groupon, and startups that have failed. I won't mention them because you won't know them because they failed. <laughs> um, but I've plugged away at learning uh, the kind of two key uh, drivers in my life within the workspace one being editorial I started out as a creative mm. and the other being, being operations now operations sounds really boring and tedious but actually it's not um, I'll come into that in, in, in a few seconds time mm. uh, before even thinking about doing this where I really started was in the world of psychology I'm mm. a graduate of psychology um, during that degree, I think everyone has like a, a real desire one day to, to be a clinical psychologist. That's the dream, right? And then you realize actually it's really hard to be a clinical psychologist. People that I know from my course who are now clinical psychologists have graduated within the last three or four years. That's not the, the norm, but it can be 10 plus years to really get your qualifications, experience levels and so on. So when I first graduated, I did work at the university I graduated from, which was Royal Holloway, mm-hmm. uh, and I and I worked as a research assistant. And then I did the whole, you know, can I be a psychologist? Work as a volunteer on hospital wards. Um, that didn't really amount to, to to much, right? Like it's really competitive. Um, budgets are low, opportunities are low. Um, so from psychology, I was just like, let me indulge some passions of mine writing and food primarily <laughs> uh started a food blog um started a underground restaurant uh, a supper club now you call them mm-hmm. um and kind of just leaned into that opportunity and that weird merry-go-round led me here i'm not sure how like i said at the beginning but yeah. here i am i think it's sometimes the way though isn't it i think when you're doing the degree you sort of have sometimes you have an idea of clear paths Um, But then often, and I think other people that have been on the podcast have said as well, it's often the things you're doing around while you're studying, like, you know, in your case, working in hospitality or having an interest in that, that doesn't directly link to your degree, but can be, you're kind of learning things from that nonetheless, and you're getting experience from that, that can sometimes be um, the other direction you take. Yeah, I I agree. And I think that the benefit of hindsight is to look back and think about the forks in the road that you didn't know were there. Um, And that's often the case, like when you are a student and graduating, I I think people are too focused on the destination often. And and actually one of the funnest things to do is just to to pause and let yourself try stuff out. Like failure is fine. Mm -hmm. Um, I say that as someone who's failed on several occasions, Um, some more spectacular than others. That's a probably different podcast. Um, 
but that's that's how it is right like often you are kind of primed especially as soon as you're about to graduate to think who am I what should I do and I actually think that detracts from the ability to explore stuff and to learn through trying mm. like your your degree can only take you so far as to give you the the blueprint for success at a certain job unless you're doing something that's really vocational mm. now in the humanities and social sciences I am really familiar with it not necessarily being vocational unless you do pursue say academia or in the case of psychology students if you choose to go into that field mm. so taking that aside you can think about how you apply the the core structure of what you've learned to the world of work. Um, psychology is an important part of my life day to day now. I think that's the really like funny thing that's happened to me is that I thought I was leaving psychology, but I was just leaving the institution, right? In my day to day job right now, I am a psychologist. Mm. I manage people. I think about people. People are the thing that, that makes our business tick. If you can get a team to thrive and to execute to a really high standard, your business is successful. All I think about in terms of people management is behavior and how to, to inspire, how to coach, how to get the best versions of themselves. Mm. So I really advise people to, to do try stuff out, especially if they are passion points. If you fancy yourself as a writer, I know blogs are no longer like the, the, the thing that people do. Um, but find an avenue that makes sense for you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, find a way to be creative, to to have um, some experience doing something that, that you think you are passionate about because mm-hmm. uh, it can lead you down a path that you didn't know you were going to start. Yeah, I think things like writing, you know, it's often, I think, because in the degree you're sort of sometimes writing in these really, you know, you've got to do your essays, you've got to do your referencing, you've got this kind of structure, but actually it's often the stuff around it where, and you can take that, you know, you can take that critical thinking and, and as you say, like thinking about how people work and how people respond and thrive is not something that's exclusive to doing that kind of academic work necessarily. Um, so yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Your role does sound quite complicated on a day-to-day is the parts around it that are more challenging would you say or the the thing that I find most rewarding but also most challenging is is the people side I know I just mentioned it a few Mm -hmm. seconds ago but um projects are easy projects are there is a task that you must complete there is an end um with managing people you are not working towards a conclusion there's no there's no moment where you're like, aha, that's it. Um, the hardest element when managing people is not just the the kind of day-to-day of, of ensuring people are looked after, have what they need, are mm-hmm. growing and have goals. It's actually people who are like really high achieving. They're the hardest to manage by far. And so that's where my, my psychology hat comes in. How do I how do I give them something that's fulfilling how do I tap into what they find to be motivating and that's different for every single person Mm. what makes it tricky is just that it's variety Mm. whatever you did before that was successful doesn't necessarily mean it's successful this time (laughs) around and I can see that that's uh something that can be frustrating but I also like that it's different it gives me variety too it gives me the the chance to be like aha I understand this person Mm. um 
So that's definitely the, the hardest part, but also the most fulfilling. What do you think for people like that are, are kind of interested in doing that sort of role? Like, how do you find that it works? What works for sort of, because um, it's interesting you said, you know, there's people that are often the most high achieving or the most challenging to manage. Like, what do you find does motivate people or what you... Uh, I, I think the reason they're the hardest to, to manage is because they've become desensitized to achievement. It's because it's because the reward mechanism they have is to constantly be told they are just great at something. Um, and I'm not saying do the opposite. That would be the, <laughs> the, the easy, obvious answer to say to someone, uh, actually, uh, you have to try harder. Now, that, that may work circumstantially. Like, if there's a tight deadline and you need to be more kind of the policeman role rather than the coach role in your management style that can work in terms of what motivates people it really really depends i, I can describe what i think motivates me because i think that i like to think anyway that i am a high achiever uh my primary driver is my my parents i am a first generation uh refugee i realize your sociology students may question what i mean by first generation uh, my, my definition being I was not born here. I came here with my parents as a refugee. Um, my motivation is to prove to them they were right to do that. So in, in moments of opportunity and moments of weakness, I'm like, I need to prove to them that this was all worth it. So this is why I want to keep achieving. Now, my manager may not tap into exactly that, but offshoots of that, right? They may say to, to me, like, what are your ambitions over the next year five years whatever and in a roundabout way we'll get on to the to the i want to keep learning i want to keep achieving i want to have this thing that will give me that sense and then you can tap into it not everything is as personal or as evocative as that sometimes it's just simple sometimes someone is in the stage of their life where they're like i'm about to go into the phase of being a parent mm. and so uh, they may want to strive in order to ensure when they're on parental leave, they don't feel like they are leaving something behind, right? It really does depend on, on each individual, but... And, the, and, knowing and knowing and caring, I guess, about a team and recognising people as individuals in that as well. Yeah, it's, it's all about listening as a manager, right? I think our archetype of what a manager is based on what we learn is someone telling you what to do. Mm. And that's not a manager, really. That's not a leader. A leader is someone who has the strategy behind it, who, who listens, who enacts things mm. that are positive and um, sustainable, uh, that allows you to be the best version of yourself that you can be. Um, dictators are the ones that stand up at the front and say, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to hit our targets. Don't get me wrong, that, that does work in certain circumstances and is needed. If you're a salesperson in a high-pressure environment where you have two weeks to hit your target, being a dictator can help you get there, but it's not it's not what leadership should be. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. It's um, I think it's also linked back, actually, where you were saying, you know, there's other, you learn this also from other avenues of your life, like other types of work. It's not all, all from a degree because I think learning about working with people um, you know, that's obviously not something we, we can teach in <laughs> sort of in through through the program, right? Um, so yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, 
what do you if there's people that want to get into the kind of um field that you're in what would you what kind of experience would you suggest people should be sort of seeking to build or skills that they should be building i would say that if, if they want to get into the social media and, and media landscape i think what's really important is to just be a scientist what i mean by that is to learn off your own back to try things out but the most captivating cvs that we get are people that can point to their social handles and say look i understand this not because their their following is huge that's that's one aspect of it right the other aspect of it is to look at are they uh doing the things that we expect of them do they have an authentic voice so they are they posting in a way that's primed for the the social channel um have they gone beyond to build their framework of understanding now whatever you study at university all you need to know is how to ask the right questions how to hypothesize how to test how to how to use what you've learned as uh, a case for for the future right to say that i have tried this and this is why i thought and so on is really captivating uh, so yeah start your own channels try some stuff out prove that you can find success prove that you understand uh who you're talking to who your audience is in terms of like my role specifically i think the hardest thing that i've found is to be self-aware as to what your skills are and the best way to be more self-aware is to just put yourself in uncomfortable situations if you feel like you are in a stage of your your development where you need to to upskill i would challenge you to upskill in a way that makes you a little bit uncomfortable if you're a sociology student you may not necessarily uh i don't know i'm picking on sociologists today <laughs> I, i have some unfinished business i think yeah yeah uh, but if you are a sociology student nothing's stopping you from going on on the coding academy course right like learning how to code now that sounds like an obvious throwaway line that your students have probably heard a million times but that's one example of what you can try and do right like um building your skill set so that there are other things that you can do being uh someone who's flexible in in their skill set not being a, a jack of all trades that's a that's a bit of a trap but, but at least like complementing the things that you have learning a language mm-hmm. these are skills that are really highly sought after irrespective of of what you've graduated from or what your work experience is if you can speak a second language as long as the language is is well spoken i think you always have a good chance of progressing mm i think being curious about other areas that maybe weren't weren't something that you're you're focused in right and i think you know that's a challenge i've had i i know of sort of saying well i'm probably not good at that so or i know i'm good at the the sociology side of things or i'm good at writing so i'll do that and i think there's like you say pushing yourself a little bit somewhere uncomfortable potentially opens up a different direction um, yeah like something i struggled with when i graduated was that uh, well i mean firstly i graduated in 2008 so uh everyone who's graduating right now i feel you like mm-hmm. that that was a hard time to graduate into and this is a hard time to graduate into right now um so i totally understand that feeling but the thing that i struggled with was my way of learning my way of doing things was mostly written word 
so in any environment, even something like this, I don't think I could have done when I first graduated. I'd have been too nervous. I'd have been like, can I write everything down? Can I send you some some stuff down? Is to push yourself to identify where you feel uncomfortable and just ask yourself why. Not necessarily just jump into it, but ask yourself why. Uh, spend some time questioning yourself and trying some stuff out. Even if you fail, like I said at the beginning, failure is just one outcome. It's not a death knell of your chances of getting somewhere. It's just something that happens. No one judges people on failure. People judge you on how you react to failure and what you do afterwards. I think that's, I think that's, yeah, really great. It's also, I can say again, the psychology degree does not disappear because how do we respond to these things? You know, um, what can we take from them? And why is it, you know, as you said, why is it that you've got, we've sort of sometimes say that there's areas that we could work in or there's things that we know how to do and that's the only place we can go. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, in terms of you mentioned like that you'll often be checking for things like social media handles like is that something do you think that's something that students can build on of sort of building a presence around because it's something we, we're often told to do as well um, even in our field um, but is that something you kind of look for in potential applicants yeah so we're we're in a really big recruitment drive right now so uh, I think two weeks ago, I told the team that I looked at 150 CVs for one position. So yeah. <laughs> that position was live for maybe 24 hours before a flood of applications came through. Now, th that's relatively normal, depending on which field it is. I think the more creative fields, you usually get a ton. Mm -hmm. um, the way that I went through it was to look at, obviously, their CV and any covering letter they wrote. But then to also look at like things like LinkedIn, uh, if they link to their portfolios, look at their portfolios, uh, their Instagrams, if they link to it, especially if it was relevant to the job they were applying for. Now, if they just fancied themselves as an uh, influencer of, of non-description, mm -hmm. uh, that didn't really make a compelling case. But if you're applying for a position at, at Tastemade where lifestyle is our, is our core thing, if you are interested in food or home or travel, if you're linked to a feed that has an example of that, that shows that you can, one, take photographs really well, that's a skill, mm -hmm. can edit your photos really well, another skill, can write captions that look interesting, another skill. Mm. Now, it doesn't really matter to me if you have like a thousand followers or 10,000 followers. What's important is the message you are transmitting, the skills that you are showing, Mm -hmm. um, so it can be relevant in, in those fields. Mm -hmm. uh, taking, taking a step back, I would say that LinkedIn is actually really interesting for me because it's a corroboration of the CV. Now, the CV is one form of interacting with this anonymized person, right? You don't know who they are. But LinkedIn can complement that. LinkedIn can be a more clean version. It mm -hmm. also shows your activity, right? If you are active on LinkedIn, you are liking someone's post, commenting on something, shows me your field of, of interest. It gives me a bit more detail than the general stuff that you see on CVs. Most CVs look kind of the same. Um, and if, if I were to touch on CVs, by the way, I would say spend time on your CV. So many applicants get rejected because they're lazy. Mm. And I, I say that as someone who used to do this as well. As soon as I graduated, I was like, come on, I'm a, I'm, I'm a 
a graduate of psychology, I, I can walk into any job. So <laughs> I mean, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I was clearly mistaken. But like, I, I looked at jobs that I felt like were comfortable, they were easy enough for me to get. And I was like, am I deluded? Mm. And and then I, I don't know what clicked, maybe a friend or someone told me that actually my CV made no sense. I was prioritizing uh, things that weren't relevant to the job or what I was applying for. There were typos, there were formatting issues, the links didn't work. This sounds so obvious and I'm sure people are bored of hearing it, but the number one thing to do is just make sure your CV is applicable to the job. Call out the keywords that they have called out in the job description. Go through your job description, just write down like the keywords that you think they're talking about. And if they are applicable to your experience, even if it's just primarily educational, you should mention that. That should be one of the things that you do. It's all about strategy. Now, if you send the same CV to, to everyone, firstly, that's really obvious. But secondly, it's not compelling. Like how, how much time do I have to look at a CV? Mm-hmm. Less, than a, less than a minute on average, I would say. Firstly, I'm looking for, are they in the right country? Like, can they work here? Do they have whatever the job is, the core skill that I was looking for? Does their CV make sense? Is it written well? Is there, is there a story to be told? But yeah, like really focus on your CV. These are the things that, that will take you 25, 30 minutes sometimes. And someone may only spend 25 or 30 seconds on it. Mm-hmm. But if you get it right, it's so worth it. Yeah. And I think sometimes it can feel like, because I used to do exactly the same, I'd have the same, basically the same application that I sent out, whatever the role was. And then I was thinking, why is no one recognizing, you know, (laughs) but I wasn't wasn't making that case, right? Because I wasn't actually uh, doing the work of making it easy for someone to see me in that role or see that I was suitable for that role. So I think you want to, it's almost, you've got to take out all of the work that that person looking at the CV has to do, do to try and, see whether you're relevant or suitable. That is so spot on. You have to make the life of the person recruiting just easier. <laughs> you have yeah. to give them this thing that's digestible, right? Mm-hmm. And and I'm sure we share this feeling of like, why is no one recognizing what I could be? Mm. And the, the, the truth is they don't owe you the, the, the time that you think they owe you. Like you are clicking a button, you are anonymized. The, the way to get them to, to care that little bit longer is to just make sure that you have looked at the job description properly and you have matched the CV as closely as possible to the to the job. Yeah, and I think like in a, in a case like uh, for your company, it's like, as you say, it's also demonstrating a kind of interest in the sort of work that you would potentially be doing or the, you know, and that's, you probably have to put in that extra work to make that, to make that visible um, over a short period of time. Yeah, I, I think so. Amazing. I'm trying to think. I feel like we've covered so much. <laughs> um, not at all in the in the um, order, I promise. So I'm sorry. <laughs> um, You're forgiven. Do you think, like, what do you think would be your kind of overall message, or if you could kind of summarize a a message, a short message to people about? You know, I think it's nice you mentioned that this is a difficult year. Do you have like a kind of overall thing you would say about? going forward yeah yeah like it's okay not to have the answer Mm -hmm. I think one thing that really played on my mental health was graduating in 2008 and not finding something instantly seeing a lot of my peers just jump into like this assuredness of what they were doing Mm 
they were like, yeah, 100%, I'm doing this internship or I'm going here. Now, I, I realize that internships are not viable for a lot of people, especially if they're unpaid. Mm-hmm. Hands up, same case for me, right? I uh, am from an underrepresented background that didn't have, uh, you know, parents to rely on who had uh, money to, to see me through the, the periods of not working. Uh, so I couldn't take any unpaid internships. Um, and I sympathize with people who are in a similar boat. That's not to say there aren't other things that you can do. Um, it's about just thinking as to what you'd like to learn, what you'd like to try out. Use that period of, you know, the, the post-graduation years for what they are. Like, they seem desperately important when you're about to graduate. 10, 12 years on, you look back and you're like, huh, that was funny. I, I, I thought this was it. Um, so don't take it so seriously. Try, try some stuff out. Like, mm. if you can't do unpaid internships, look for internships that pay. Mm. At Tastemade, we've enacted a, a, a policy where every internship is paid because we identified that there's a lack of representation at certain levels in certain fields. What, some of the stuff I did, by the way, were, were things like volunteering. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't volunteer every single day. I still had a job that, that ensured that I could... Pay the bills. Pay, pay, pay the bills. I didn't have that many bills when I was 21, <laughs> but pay the bills. And so one day a week, one day a month, that, that, was, that was enough to start to build a case of having experience. At least I could add it to my CV and say, look, uh, I volunteered at, at, at this hospital working with this psychologist. Now, that's if you specifically want to get psychology. If you want to try something else, it's totally fine to, to put yourself out there and be vulnerable, to ask people uh, for advice and guidance. Not everyone will necessarily respond. Every now and again, you'll chance on someone that'll be like, sure, you can do one day a week with us. You can do this thing with us. Definitely persist. Definitely be curious. Definitely try new things out. Definitely don't take it so seriously. You will figure it out. Looking back is obviously way more comforting than looking forward, but you, you will in 10 or 12 years' time think, actually, I could have done more. I could have failed more. I could have tried some new things. I love that thing. Take it as a take this next period as the period where you test some things out. I think that's such a nice way to think about it, rather than it being sort of this definitive moment that you have to things have to come together. Because I think, as you say, we're also everyone's in kind of different positions around how much they can do. You know, um, and I'm really glad you mentioned that about you know often there's this narrative of we'll take an internship, but that's not necessarily something everyone can do. So then, okay, what what can you do in in the position you're in? And then, as you say, like a moment of testing it and maybe failure in some ways, but also potentially that email you send to someone asking for some advice is a way of learning something you wouldn't have otherwise had that kind of conversation around. Yeah, I've I've tried my hardest to be someone who does give back to community that I feel really connected to. It, it, It is hard though, like from my perspective, let's say on LinkedIn, I do get a lot of messages of people asking for advice. Now, I I choose to respond to certain people who have a really compelling case because I understand that they're less represented. And so I'm like, look, this person does need help because I was that person before. If someone is just just, uh, mass emailing to say, I want a job, do you have any jobs? I'm less likely to reply. Mm -hmm. If, if, If you say to me, look, 
your story is interesting because I come from a similar place. That doesn't necessarily mean geographical place, just means like maybe you're a psychology student. Maybe you also grew up in Northwest London. Maybe you are a refugee or an immigrant. If you can say to me, look, I'm interested to, to just hear your thoughts and experiences. I'm interested in even one day become becoming a, a mentee of yours or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a much healthier way of, of connecting to someone who doesn't know you. So definitely choose how you talk to people, choose how you ask for help, but definitely do it as well. I know people are a bit shy and hesitant to do it. Being vulnerable is, is, is not easy, but it can be uh, a great thing to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we always say, you know, I think when I get emails asking for that sort of thing, I think it's the same thing. You know, you're quite happy. I'm, I'm always happy to, you know, within within time, like you say. But, you know, but I think at the same time when I was giving that advice, I was always thinking that people are busy and don't want to, won't do that. But, you know, and so maybe sometimes that happens. But you, I think, as you say, if you kind of, in the same way we were talking about with the CV, if you put if you provide that narrative about what you, who you are and what you're interested in, um, that becomes a lot easier to... Yeah, and, and like, not being too formal about it as well. Yeah. Like, like it's, it's not all make or break. Sometimes what you make out of conversing with someone is literally one response. Mm-hmm. But that's fine. Like, a- again, I think the gravity of, of the situation feels uh, really intense like everything is make or break and I realized that there is a pressure to to find your thing but that's a trap like especially for people who are underrepresented in places of work or positions of of power don't just do it because it feels like you should be doing it like ask yourself why just question what experiences you'd like to attain these are really exciting times in terms of post-graduation the first few years, you still have the comfort and safety of a lot of things that will later not be there, right? Like living at home. Like some people may choose to live at home for a few more years and just having that that kind of like base level of, of comfort and security is helpful for you to just try out new things. Mm-hmm. Now, some people may not have that and that's totally understandable, but it's still a chance for you to, to just try some stuff out. Like my CV doesn't cover a period of my life that I'm referring to because I've had experiences that can take up a lot of space. I could talk about a lot of things I've done last yeah, 12 years since I graduated. Don't be so obsessive about like, what if I don't do the right thing? It's mm-hmm. totally fine. You're going to be a much more interesting person. Yeah. You're going to have better stories to tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't, don't worry about like, what if, just, just try it. Yeah. Amazing. I love that. Don't worry about what if. <laughs> it's the thing we all have to work on, but um uh, yeah, preach. I think it's a really nice message. Okay, well, I can't say enough. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think it's been um I know our students will get a lot out of this. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Criminology and Sociology Department's Create Your Future podcast series. We hope you enjoyed it. Next time, we'll be talking to another practitioner about their experiences. Make sure to check your Department My Learning page for updates. Bye for now. See you next time.